0: Welcome to the Jobs for Women podcast, an inclusive jobs and career space for women and non-binary individuals. My name is Zoe Jones, I am your host. I'm a careers coach, life coach and marketer and I have worked for some of the biggest corporations in the world. But right now I am committed to breaking down barriers to change the narrative surrounding gender equality and diversity at work. So whether you're a HR leader or a job seeker looking to dive into a male-dominated industry, this podcast is for you. Each week we'll have real, open and honest conversations about diversity at work, discrimination and the gender pay gap. And of course, everything in between. I am so happy to have you here. So grab yourself a hot drink and settle down for the Jobs for Women podcast.
1: Hi there, welcome to episode two of the Jobs for Women podcast. This week's episode, we're talking all things gender health gap. So many of us have heard about the gender pay gap, and that's a topic that we'll be discussing in future episodes. But have you heard about the gender health gap? So in 2021, the government submitted a call for evidence, which basically means that they were requesting our views on women's health. And that was to inform the development of the government's women's health strategy, which is very exciting. So the call for evidence period ran for 14 weeks and it was open to everyone aged over 16. So you could participate by completing an online survey. And the government also welcomed submissions from individuals and organisations who have expertise in women's health, such as researchers and third sector organisations. So the government published the results at the end of 2021. And I have to say some of the results are really interesting and it really hits home even further on the equality between men and women, especially when it comes to health. So we will discuss the report findings and the details of the report. But I just really wanted to mention quite early on in the pod, That following the Women's Health Strategy Plan, the government appointed a Women's Health Ambassador. And they appointed Dame Leslie Regan, who is a professor of obstetrics and gynaecology. And the reason for this appointment is basically to drive system level changes to, to work towards closing the gender health gap. So just to give you a little bit of background, the Women's Health Ambassador will support the implementation of the, of, of the upcoming Women's Health Strategy for England. And the government have said that women's health and care will be further improved following the appointment of Dame Leslie Regan as the government's first ever Women's Health Ambassador for England, which I think is absolutely brilliant. It's a step in the right direction. And hopefully we can start seeing some change when it comes to the gender health gap. And of course, that should then contribute to closing the gender pay gap. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. So Dame Leslie brings loads of experience to this role. She's worked in this area for 42 years in women's health, with particular interest in miscarriage period problems, gynecological surgery and menopause and Dame Leslie supports the implementation of the women's health strategy. Now an important point to raise is that the gender health strategy not only aims to tackle the gender health gap but it will ensure services meet the needs of women throughout their life, throughout their working life or just throughout their life generally. And I think this is really pertinent to the Jobs for Women podcast because, as I've said, we're going to talk gender pay gap. We're going to be talking women's maternity leave. Maybe we're going to be talking about how children, how having children might impact women's careers and everything related to those topics. But if we look at a woman's lifetime and the health that women transition through, there are so many stages. And let's be honest, from a biological standpoint, women have more to contend with than men. When we're just looking at from a science point of view, from a biological point of view, women have more health issues or health hurdles to work through from a biological standpoint in terms of periods menopause if they choose to have children etc so i'm not going to mention everything here but a few examples so i've already talked about women's periods but for let's just drill down into that for a minute so monthly menstruation so for some women that is completely debilitating and really topical actually to the time of recording the podcast, July 2022, when Wimbledon is being sort of called to finally address women wearing white to play tennis. So the Wimbledon Championships date back to 1877. And of course, one of the most distinctive features of the esteemed sporting competition is the very strict um white dress code imposed on players who take part and I've been doing a little bit more reading up on this and it is so so strict so they're not allowed you know to wear any hint of colour Um and everything has to white everything has to be white so undergarments so when you're thinking about this from a female from a woman's point of view that is having her monthly menstruation you know for some of us who have very 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 heavy periods that will add an, um, a huge element of stress on top of already having a lot of stress you know in this competition. So Wimbledon is facing growing pressure to rethink the strict dress code after being uh, accused of turning a blind eye to the anxiety female players face at having to compete in traditional whites whilst on their periods and actually this Saturday uh, the 9th of July there's a small-scale protest um, that will be staged outside the main gates at the All England Club and that coincides with the ladies single final and this small protest is being set up by a group of female activists who say that the archaic clothing tradition is basically hindering women's women players so i thought that was just really topical at a time you know where we're talking about the gender health gap we're talking about monthly menstruation for some women um, who have very painful periods you know going to work every month and contending with heavy periods painful periods and managing their job in maybe a corporate career, or as as a sports person, you know, wearing white and, and playing tennis. It's, it's a lot to contend with. And when you're comparing a woman to a man, a man doesn't have that to contend with. So that's why this is all, you know, we're drawing it all together when we're talking about the gender health gap. Um, so yeah, so period, first example. Obviously, then the next example is... Um, childbearing so if a woman chooses to have children you know they'll potentially pause their career to go off and have their child maybe take mat leave obviously now we're seeing a lot more shared parental leave but another very interesting example Uh, and then obviously we've got gynecological issues such as endometriosis and then of course menopause um And there's so many other health related issues, either related to childbirth or just health issues for women generally, such as poor pelvic health, for example, prolapse. So lots of different um, health things that we could consider on the pod. We could probably talk about it for hours and hours. But yeah, I just wanted to sort of generally go over that at the start of the pod. So Dame Leslie will continue her role as Professor of Obstetrics and Gynaecology at the Imperial College London St Mary's Hospital campus and will remain in active clinical practice which I love. So um, I just, I've been reading loads about this appointment and I just love what she had to say. So this is some extracts from um what she said so dame leslie said having spent my career working with and caring for women it is a great honor to be appointed as as women's health ambassador for the first government-led women's health strategy in england i mean how exciting is that she goes on to say that this is an important opportunity to get it right for women and girls and make a real difference to 51% of our population by addressing the inequalities that exist across society. I look forward to working with women, girls, health services, charities, policymakers, the government and other key partners to implement this strategy. So that statistic there that she mentions, 51% of our population makes, w- makes the work towards closing the gender health gap even more important. You know, 51% of the population are going through these health I mean, I don't really want to say issues, but they're going through these health stages throughout their life. So in terms of the gender pay gap, women have, as we know, factually been paid less than men over the years for doing the same job. So then if you add in a woman's lifelong health hurdles or stages on top of that, it makes it very unequal. And I'm really happy that we've got Dame Leslie on board to make some serious changes. And I'm excited to see what's going to happen. Um, I also thought this comment from the Health and Social Care Secretary Saji David was really interesting so one in four women consider leaving their job as a result of the menopause and ensuring women have the right support in place to stay in the workplace for longer will not only enable them to live fulfilled lives but help to boost the economy and help tackle the rising costs of living but they go on to say to, to demonstrate this the civil service recently signed the well-being of women menopause workplace pledge committing to ensuring those going through menopause are supported so this is incredible this is this is making huge steps forward um, for women going through the menopause at work and it's really topical for me I've spoken to a lot of women recently. I'm a yoga teacher and I've got a yoga teacher friend who does uh, yoga for menopause. So I have spoken to loads of women recently about menopause, you know, personal conversations, professional conversations. And what's really coming through is how the menopause took over their lives. For some, they weren't prepped for it. They didn't know a lot about it. And it just literally took Took over from hormones, headaches, uh, tiredness, and then not being able to sleep. So many varied symptoms. With a lot, you know, not really knowing how to work through it. Some women I spoke to were still in the workplace; others were already retired. But all affected considerably with a stage in the life which is going to happen as um as a woman. So. It's really exciting that we've got this well-being of Women Menopause Workplace Pledge, and obviously it's just a pledge at the moment, but it's exciting to see that things are starting to happen. So women have just been expected, haven't they, to continue with their role without this necessary support. So just, you know, during menopause, crack on with your job, go to the office, keep doing what you're doing without the support that they so need at this stage in their life. The Minister for Women's Health, Maria Caulfield, said, Since we launched our Women's Health Call for Evidence over a year ago, we have made great progress in raising the profile of women's health from the formation of the UK-wide menopause task force and publication of our vision document to ban hymoplasty, So back to the gender health gap, when the government set out their call for evidence and before the results were reported, MP Matt Hancock said for generations, women have lived with a health and care system that is mostly designed by men for men. This has meant that not enough is known about conditions that only affect women or about how conditions that affect both men and women impact women in different ways pregnant women and women of childbearing age are also underrepresented in clinical trials which can create troubling gaps in data and understanding so i thought that was really interesting he goes on to say this male by default program of the past must be put right despite living longer than men women spend a greater proportion of their lives in ill health and disability and there are growing geographic inequalities in women's life expectancy this makes leveling up women's health an imperative for us all and will support progress towards the government's commitment to extend healthy life expectancy by five years by 2035 so we know that we've had the call for evidence we have had the report findings um we've got dame leslie appointed so it's all happening um but what I'm really interested to talk about today is we're going to go on to the findings, but also how the gender health gap will hopefully affect the gender pay gap. So we're going to talk a little bit more um about that. So I was doing a little bit more reading on um, the report and Minister of State in the Department of Health and Social Care Nadine Doris went on to say, in order, in order to tackle taboos and ensure that women's voices are heard, I firmly believe that the provision of high quality information and education is imperative. To give an example, the average diagnosis time for a condition as common as endometriosis is seven to eight years. It great, greatly saddens me to read how so many women think or worse are told that the debilitating pain and symptoms they are experiencing are normal or imagined and they must live with it. So this statistic is so shocking to me and to be honest I think it's even longer, seven to eight years. Um, As a woman I have always suffered with very painful periods. I've gone through my whole academic life, career life, having to quite simply deal with it as best I can, as best I could. Um, I've taken hot water bottles to the office, drugged up on prescription medication. I've taken sick leave. Um, I remember at school, waiting for my mum to pick me up because I had such awful period pain and I remember a teacher walking past me saying oh Zoe you must sort out these periods as though there was a magic remedy or a wand that I could just wave and simply eradicate the period from my life. Oh how I wish that were true. Um, I Last year I underwent Investigative surgery to find out basically what was going on, and that was at the age of 37. I was finally diagnosed with pelvic congestion syndrome. So, for years, they thought it was endometriosis. So, that's 24 years of basically battling with reproductive pain on a monthly basis. So, I know I might be going off on a tangent talking about me, but I just think it's really important to give some context to this and to explain why I'm so passionate about it. So, yeah, it took it took for me to get to the age of 37 to go private to finally get some answers and what was sad for me about the outcome is that although the clinicians that I saw over the years suspected endometriosis from a very young age the diagnosis that was completely different was a quite shocking but what was almost bittersweet was that there's nothing that can be done and obviously i didn't want to have endometriosis but i know that there are surgery options for that to try and make you know reduce the pain um but what i found out with pelvic congestion syndrome is that there basically isn't much that can be done so pelvic congestion syndrome causes chronic pelvic pain related to varicose veins in the pelvic area and honestly let me tell you last month i felt like i was in labor i have had two children and the pain was so bad I said to my husband I feel like I am uh, midway through my labor it was and you know apart from medication which I have I have prescribed medication and then I take normal painkillers there's not a lot that can be done so there's no option for surgery or treatment and it makes me wonder that if I was in the corporate world if I was employed by a company if I didn't have all of that in place What support would I have? You know, would I be taking more sick pay? And then as, you know, as a result, would I be less likely to be put up for promotion? Would I earn less than my counterparts? It does make you wonder. So I manage my condition because I'm a self-employed person and I can work flexibly and that means that there's more I can take sick time I can have days in bed but then I have to make up my hours I still have to do the work so but it's that flexibility that gives me this way of combating and dealing with the condition and not everyone has that option so it's something that needs to be talked about so let's go on now and talk about the results so Obviously, the results were vast, um, so I'm not going to talk about everything here on the pod today. I've refined it down to talk about specifically health in the workplace insights. So I'm going to read some out and then we'll have a little chat around it. And I'd love to also hear what you think. Don't forget to message me on the podcast, hello at jobsforwomen.co.uk. If you've got any feedback on the gender health gap, if you've got any anecdotes, if you've got anything that you can add to this, I would love to hear from you. So around one in three respondents said women feel comfortable talking about health issues in their workplace. And that was 35%. And one in two said that their current or previous workplace had been supportive with regards to health issues. So that's, that's okay. That's starting on a bit of a positive because communication is key. Let's be, let's be honest. If you can't talk openly to your line manager, then there's no hope for you getting that support that you need for your women's health issues. So of those who said a health condition or disability had impacted their experience in the workplace, which was 62%, more than three in four said it had increased their stress levels and two in three said it had impacted their mental health, that's 67%. So that's pretty staggering, isn't it? That 62%, essentially two-thirds of those surveyed, said a health condition or disability had impacted their experience in the workplace. That leaves just a third who haven't been affected. The results went on to say that 26% said it had impacted their earnings, 25% said it had affected their opportunities for promotion, 22% said it meant they stopped work earlier than they had planned. So this is where we start to see the crossover with the gender pay gap. If 26%, so a quarter, said it affected their earnings, opportunities for promotion, and it meant that they left earlier, this is all a huge bearing on the gender pay gap let's remember that the gender pay gap is not just about two people say a man and a woman doing the same job getting paid different salaries it's about so many more things for example a lack of women in leadership roles so we all know that the further you climb up the ladder technically the more you're paid so leadership roles will be at the higher end of the bracket so if we've got less women in leadership roles and if The small percentage of women in leadership roles are leaving due to health issues, for example, menopause, then it's just making that gender pay gap even wider because it means that we've got more men at the top earning more money. So I really liked some of the suggestions that the participants brought up to raise awareness of and destigmatize women's health conditions and their impact in the workplace. For example, many respondents called on employers to do more to encourage and facilitate open discussions with line managers and colleagues, which I know I've just talked about a second ago, but I I wholeheartedly agree with this. If you can be really honest with your manager about how you're feeling, about the symptoms that you are trying to manage month in, month out or daily, then the more support you should be able to get in the workplace. And the more transparent you're going to be so if you need to take sick time you're not going to start worrying that they're going to think that you're just you know taking a break every now and again you know it's it's a real health condition that's affecting your quality of life and essentially your work so you need the support i.e maybe flexible working options to work from home that sort of thing so If we don't start talking about it, then nothing will change. Communication is key. So the women that were surveyed also suggested that the government and employers should continue to promote flexible working arrangements and facilitate access to occupational health services to enable women to better manage their health needs and communicate this to their managers. So obviously with occupational health, occupational health team will send a report back to the line manager so say for example the employee isn't comfortable or is working on that confidence to have those conversations then at least with an occupational health um, report then the manager can see in detail what this person is working with. Um, they also wanted to say they they also suggested to create new policies to better support women in work such as paid leave and counseling for miscarriage and baby loss and reasonable adjustments for women who are going through the menopause or living with painful gynecological conditions provide better support for women seeking to re-enter the workplace or progress their career after maternity leave and while living with or recovering from female health conditions so I mean we could talk about this for hours Um, I definitely encourage you to go on the .gov website and read up on the report. It's fascinating. And for me, it's really exciting that we're finally making changes. We are finally talking about women's health. We're putting it on the map. And in turn, this cross and this overlap, I'm hoping that they're going to do a report in the future on this crossover with the gender health gap and gender Um, pay gap so gender health gap and gender pay gap so as a woman i've already talked about my experience of gynecological issues um I'm now working with pelvic congestion syndrome. I'm lucky that I'm self-employed. But if you are suffering with any gynae issues or women's health issues and you'd like to contribute to the podcast or maybe uh, have a little chat off the record so I can find out a little bit more about you, jobs for women is a place for us to come to the community of women and non-binary individuals where we can empower ourselves where we can progress at work where gender is irrelevant but women's health conditions are on the map so that's it for this week i can't wait to see what dame leslie brings to the table i can't wait to see the work that she does and how she can help shape women's health in the future
0: So that's it for another episode of the Jobs for Women podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. If you're interested in coming on the show or you want to discuss any of the topics that I've raised, please email me hello at jobsforwomen.co.uk. And if you're interested in reaching more women and non-binary individuals in your recruitment process, why not have a look at the website, jobsforwomen.co.uk. Your first job posting is absolutely free for the first 30 days, so you've got absolutely nothing to lose. Until next time.